The witch's cackle burns the eye that sees the danger you are in. Sometimes we're wrong, but we want to prove that we are right, so we begin. Watch out, there's a sword and it's coming for your neck. In this battle for salvation, in this battle for salvation. Hello everyone and welcome to the Battle for Salvation Warhammer Underworlds podcast. I'm Max Bernstein. I'm Randall Slate. And welcome to episode seven. Today, we feature our interview with Bryce Johnston, who is the World Grand Clash winner. He just won this past weekend at Warhammer World in the UK. But before we get to that, we want to mention that there are several tournaments in the New York City, Connecticut area and we wanted to just give them a shout out and make sure that people were aware. Uh, the first one is happening this coming Saturday, which is February 9th, starting at 11 a.m. in Brooklyn at Carcosa Club, where we've been before. Uh, always a great time to go down there, do-it-yourself place. Uh, really important to support that scene. We also have up in West Hartford, Connecticut on February 23rd at the Games Workshop Store. There will be a kit tournament there starting at 1 p.m. Um, Newington, Connecticut on March 16th starting at 10 a.m. at Tabletop Shop. Again, a place we've been before. Really great place to go. And fresh off the presses, we hear that there will be a kit tournament at The Portal in Manchester, Connecticut on April 13th. And that's at 10 a.m. That's a place that, uh, Randall, you've been to to play 40K before? Yep. All right. So that's that's that. But we but the but the big announcement right now, Randall, the very first, the inaugural Battle for Salvation kit tournament is being announced right now here on this very program at this moment. It will take place on March 2nd and be at the Battle for Salvation club in harrison uh new york on sa that's a saturday and it starts at 11 a.m uh for those of you who are uh, part of the club it is a ten dollar uh entry fee 15 for non-members but we will th there will be all the standard prizes that are typically found in a tournament kit we have one of those but there are some really crazy extra door prizes that are going to be for the first people who uh, who register for the tournament. Um, it, it is will be no less than a fresh uh, factory sealed dice pack. So uh, you can look forward to that just as a door prize. And then, of course, all the other stuff that we have. I think that we might be getting the activation tokens, too, but I don't want to promise that. And... Um, yeah, and that's yeah. Check our Facebook for the details about that event exactly. if you want to come. All on there. Um, so that's all the announcements that we have. Uh, we want to just introduce Bryce Johnston again, the uh, the Grand Clash winner this past weekend. Um, he's also a sometimes um, uh, he writes for the CataframeRelic dot com blog with Jamie Giblin, um, and we mentioned that a little bit in during the interview. So, uh, Randall, anything else you want to add? Well, just real quick, I wanted to add that we had a great opportunity to interview Bryce, even though we really want to get 
to the in-depth look that, at some of the new factions we have. Mm-hmm. So we hope that you'll join us next week and the week after that for our in-depth review of the expansion packs for Molog's Mob and Godsworn Hunt. Yep, we need to get a little bit more playtesting under our belt before we start talking about them, but I think we'll be ready by then. Okay, Yep. so without further ado, Randall, let's do the inter- interview here with Bryce Johnston. All right, Bryce, well, thanks for joining us. Uh, hello, it's good to be here. All right, so uh, we're just going to start off by finding out. Um, the first question I want to ask you is, how did you get into this game? Uh, so I've I've played many games since I was like 14 or something, so that's like 13 years now. And um, basically people at my office, uh, including like Jamie Giblin from Catherine Relic, mm-hmm. uh, had started picking it up. And I sort of resisted for a while because my office is quite bad for fads. Like, they will, everyone will pick up, like, The Hobbit for a month and then drop it immediately. And um, so I resisted for about three months and then saw that uh, Shades Bar wasn't going anywhere. So I decided to kind of randomly just bought the core set one night and then love played the core game, the core set, like the original Reavers v Steelhearts, played that twice and then bought all of the expansions that were out up to that point. Well, how far into the game was... How far into it that was... It? was I think just before Far Striders and the Gores came out. Oh, okay. So that's uh, that's about the time that I started. I think I started like right after those came out. Cool. Yeah. All right. So like not even actually. Yeah, it was over. Not even a year ago. Actually, I started. Yeah. No, playing. it wasn't. It was like last like spring. Yeah, yeah. I think it was about February, March. I think maybe about this time last year when it's when I picked it up. Like. Yeah. I mean, well, the game the game is not really that old yet. So. I yeah. Mean, no. I mean, it was what eighteen months. Like. Yeah. If that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, what Let's games see, did so, you play before? Uh, so I still play. Um, actually, Shadespire is actually a side game for me. Like I main my main <laughs> game is uh, Guild Ball. Uh, Guild Ball. All right. What 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 guild do you play in Guild Ball? Uh, Farmers. Oh, okay, I, have to, I haven't played it yet, but I have a whole hunters team. So it's it, this is a bit weird for me because I actually uh, I'm one of the developers on Guild Ball. Oh, okay. For, oh, for so um, one of the farmers models uh, got, is a model called Thresher, and uh, he looks like my dad. Like we sent pictures <laughs> of my dad because my dad is an actual farmer. Like I grew up on a farm, <laughs> so we sent pictures of my dad to the artist, and he drew my dad in the game. He's like, "Hey, dad! Hey, dad! 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 Hold gonna be, still. You're going to be a model. Just yeah. Hold on. Hold on. That's yeah, awesome. he does." Yeah, my dad's been a fa- my dad's a farmer though. He does not get it. He does no. not get miniature games. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that's awesome. Um, so, w- where is your scene? Where's your your meta? So, uh, I currently live in Manchester in the UK, and um, the meta, the very immediate meta, is basically so me and uh, Jamie Giblin because right. we work together. So we mm-hmm. literally like probably four days a week on our lunch break we just get out oh so you just get games. reps in i get you yeah yeah basically so that's yeah. that's where most of my Mologs games came before the tournament like I, I gotta wait for every monday night to play this guy over here <laughs> really yeah where are you guys play. based actually we're, we're in uh just north of new york city oh cool yeah yeah so we play um he's uh randall you're in connecticut well, yeah, it's it's really but, close but he to... comes down and then we so we run down to basically um things that are in uh like kind of central to western Connecticut we'll go to mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we'll go south to like New York City and Brooklyn as well. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Um so that's cool. Um so just are there a lot of people playing there in Manchester? 
Um, so we've run like tournaments in Manchester get anywhere between kind of five or six up to about 16, 17 players. Okay. Um, similar to what we did over here. There's like three gaming stores in, oh no, there's one in Manchester, one in Stockport, which is about a 10 minute drive from Manchester. Not terrible. And uh, one in Warrington, which is about a 20 minute drive from Manchester. And they all run events. And so, yeah, there's maybe about maybe about between 10 and kind of 16 people that will show up at those events. But in terms of like day to day, kind of week to week, it's, it's, there's maybe like three or four that I see. That's, but it's largely me and Geblin. So <laughs> that's not terrible, though. I mean, if you get so many reps in. Um, but I mean, from, from my point of view, uh, I find that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Facebook boards and I'm like watching and it, it just seems like there's so much stuff going on in the UK. Like there's so many tournaments, everybody's winning glass every week. Yeah. You know, like so many people are posting and I'm like, you know, like I get to go to a tournament, like maybe every once, every two weeks, if I'm lucky, That's... maybe once every once. month. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, we, we have, we've had to start. We, uh, we just started um, having a quarterly kit at our club. We're gonna do the first one in March, but I mean, we, that's just from lack of places to go. We just decided, hey, we got to like do it ourselves. But mm -hmm. um, but it seems to me like the UK group just really robust meta. Can 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 you talk about that a little bit? Is that is that the case, or is that just what I'm seeing? Um, so there are several. Yeah, there's there there are a lot of players in the UK. Obviously, I, I, we're about to go and talk about the clash, but like the clash was 160 166 yeah. players, I think, including um, one from New York that I know of. From New York, or, yeah, yeah, from Brooklyn. Hanif went there. Oh, really? Anyway, yeah, he came in some. He was top hundred, but he was like pretty low down. He was, play, he was playing uh, uh, Curse Breakers. Oh, that's cool, man. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so obviously, like, like there was there was a lot of people playing um playing Shadespire, and beyond that, there are kind of probably three or four distinct metas within the UK, like. There's Manchester, uh, then there's like Sheffield, which is about an hour and a half drive from Manchester, and that's the lads from Steel City Underworlds. Right, Steel um, City. I, I, I read that one too. Like, yeah, they're pretty good. Um, like uh, Tom and Tom and Freya and uh, Michael, uh, yeah. Mike Carlin. They're they're really good. Um, and then down south, you've got John Reese, obviously, who right. has. I think more glass than that guy. anyone else. <laughs> yeah, I just I just saw it because he just won with Magors for the first time. Yeah, so he has well, like part of part of it is because like we're talking about how like so in the north, like in the north of England at least, there's a tournament probably like there's probably at least one tournament a week. Right. Um, but in London and down south in England, there's the population density is unreal, and there's a lot right. of gaming stores. Gotcha. So like John, a lot of weeks, a lot of weekends, will just go to two tournaments, like. One right. on the one on the Saturday, one on the Sunday. Win at least, and then and then he'll seemingly win three or four, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. It's just so much yeah. glass on that guy. I mean, it's like it's like he probably needs like a storage facility at this point. Yeah, well, I don't because I've got uh, eight, and now my Grand Clash one, and I don't know where. Like, eight. I'm getting to the point. Like, I do not have a big flat, and like because yeah. that was is... my next question was how much glass do you have. So you have so you have the Grand Clash, which we'll talk yeah. about in a minute. Which, by the way, congratulations, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and then but then you have eight other ones. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, Max and just getting there. I'm 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 all right. If I find enough under under attended tournaments, I'll probably win a few more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I lost for the first time like a month ago. 
Oh, really? Well, I mean, I don't get to play that often, so I've been to like six tournaments, and now I've won five, and I've lost one. Oh, yeah, I know. I have, I, I have really played. You lost to those damn night haunts. And those damn night haunts. Uh, the spooky oh, ghosts. No, well, yeah. Um, uh, this this guy, uh, Joe, he he came with night haunts, and he was playing like all these weird supremacies. You know, what are those tactical supremacies? Like, not oh, not, yeah, the one, tax, not, not the double, the triples. Oh, genius. genius. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I just absolutely was not expecting that because nobody ever plays them. And he's just yeah. like, he put, he put a guy on each one. I'm like, all right, well, the math here is going to be close. And he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I just have like supremacy. And then I have like tactical genius one through three and tactical genius four through five. And I'm like, Jeez. you bastard. Well, yeah, and you were thinking he was just going to get three, but then he I thought he was like going to get like a three through yeah. supremacy. Yeah. Yeah. And, maybe and then, and then it would have been off by like one. Yeah. No, but he, but yeah, geez. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Who's who's looking for that? Yeah, that's it's like thing, when somebody's like... sick and you think like like there. I, you ever see that show Scrubs? Yes, I love. Yeah, Scrubs. Do you remember there was this one episode where uh where the doctor's like, oh, everybody has rabies, and they're yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. why would you expect that to be the answer? Yeah, and that yeah. to me was like that's how I felt in that moment. It was just like, why would it be tactical? Uh, supreme? Uh, what was it? It's uh, tactical. No, it's not tactical. Genius. Tactical genius. Yeah, why would it be tactical genius? genius? Like, why would anybody be thinking that? And I just got caught. I I saw that happen at the the clash. Actually, Tom Bond from Steel City Underworlds. Nice. Um, he set up uh, Magor and Reptus next to each other, and he inspired Reptus. Yeah. Um, the guy he was playing played Momentary Madness, which oh, is no. on a fifty fifty. So Reptus <laughs> then turned and ate Magor, Yikes. and then. <laughs> And then he, and then Tom's like, "All right, that's a pain, but I can still come out of this." And then the guy plays Frozen in Time on Rip. <laughs> oh my god! And got oh both fifty fifties. Like, oh, that's terrible. Like, I don't even play those things because of that. Then <clears throat> Frozen yeah, in Time. Like, but who who sets up to stop momentary madness? Nobody. Like, Nobody. <laughs> who stops to say the, the the Frozen in Time thing with you? We'll get to that later. But I mean, yeah. you know, like. I, I feel like those are the those are those championship moments where you just get that role and it's like got you there. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll get I guess we yeah, I'll talk about that during the when we're talking about the clash. Right. But oh just, just back there. to it though. You said you've won eight glass, right? Yeah. What factions did you win them with? Uh four with dwarfs. Uh dwarf one player. With, okay. Was that like back in season one? Yeah, yeah. So dwarfs, okay. I played nothing but when I picked up the game. Um because I'm not actually a big fan of so I A like playing good guys. Um, because I'm a nerd, right. and B, uh, I don't really like Stormcast. Like I'll play the like I'll play them because they're good guys, but like I I just I was never a big fan of Space Marines. Like I was an Imperial Guard player. Gotcha. And they're just too too goody goody, too paladin. Yeah, and Stormcast are the same for me. And so like I'm super excited for Gun Dwarfs and uh, Nature Elves. Like I'm really excited for. Them. I like how you call them Gun Dwarfs too. Yeah, well, Gun Dwarfs or Sky Dwarfs. Like, right, right. Either one. But um, so yeah, so basically the point is when I first started playing Chasewire, I only wanted to play dwarfs, so I played nothing but dwarfs for six months. Nice. Um, and anytime anyone asks me like, how do you get good at Chasewire? I'm like, play dwarfs for six months, and yeah, a meta where great can, and a meta <laughs> where great concussion is still is still legal. Yeah, like yeah, if you it. can if you can win tournaments with that, on hard you mode, can win, you can win. Yeah, yeah, you can do anything. Like, quick <laughs> thinker and. Great yeah, concussion, quick, quick yeah. thinker, great concussion, and time trap were all still legal when I won all four of those glass with dwarves. Nice, that's like playing yeah, with man. The, the donut is... on your baseball bat. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. You know what yeah, a baseball so... bat is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we know what baseball is. No, like... I, no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, Do you so, know what hamburgers uh, are? 
No. Oh, Do you know what hamburgers are? Hamburgers. <laughs> no one knows what hamburgers are. Oh, okay. That's true. Anyway. No one in right. the world. All right. Last question I have in, in, in the little bio section. All right. And be legit here. Who's better? You or Gilden? Giblin? Me or Giblin? Who's better? Who's better? Uh, me. Yeah? You heard it. What, what would you he heard say? it, Jamie. What would he say? He would probably call me names. And <laughs> then then we'd have to play a game but so it it's actually hard to say because um we both i think we're actually probably roughly equal but for a long time um giblin's been trying to make like skelly's work and he's been trying to make um other things work whereas like i've been playing curse breakers and i've been playing obviously malogs now and right. i've been playing magors and i think like i think maybe i'm Slightly better. Honestly, I have to give an <laughs> honest. Very answer. diplomatic. Uh, well, but, I mean, I have to work with a guy. You know, I don't want to. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, okay. And Gibbon's a really good player. Like he also he won the team tournament Grand Clash. Oh, that's true. He did. Uh, Jay Clare and Bax, I think. W- what is that? Is that like you have like three players on a team? Yeah. So you basically have three players on the team, and you can't uh, have multiple war bands. So you each have to have a unique war band. Okay. And then I don't really know it because I wasn't at the UK team tournament because unfortunately I couldn't make it. Yeah. Um, but there's some sort of pairing process where like you get you, you both get to pick one matchup and then whatever the remaining two players are, they play each other. Oh, right. that sounds like uh sounds like the other sounds one. like ETC for 40k. Yes, I think it's based on that. Yeah. Nice. That's actually really cool. We should try to do that. We should. Try yeah. To do that. If we had, I mean, you know, more people who played, if we, we had like a hundred people. The yeah, yeah. We'd do it. Sure. Yeah. Like, how do you we'll how keep... do you do team tournament with like six people? <laughs> like that's yeah, yeah that's it. That's yeah, it. that's cool around. though. I like the team. We love the team tournaments at uh, Battle for Yeah, Salvation. I I love team tournaments. Like I um, so I'm on the uh, I used to be on the War Machine Team Scotland. Um, and we went to like I went to like four ETCs and two WTCs, like World wow. Team Championships. And then I've been to the World Team Championships for Guild Ball twice as well. So like love team tournaments, like absolutely love them. I want to see more for Sh- for Shadeswire. Couple of our couple of our friends of the club, uh Sean Naden and Nick Natavati won the forty K ETC this year for Team oh, America. Sweet. That's cool, man. Yeah, we got we got we got people in our club. We got people <laughs> we got some we got some notable people. Some guys. All yeah. right. So so let's uh let's move on. Let's move on to your uh your Grand Clash winning deck. Yes. So, so first of all, this was was this the World Grand Clash tournament, or was this just like a just? I'm not uh, exactly sure, like how high up on sure. the I'm, level. I'm never sure what the because there's a lot of things that call themselves clashes or are advertised right. as Grand Clashes, and I don't really know what's there. There, there, what, there should need no. to be some sort of like official GW. Well, yeah. If it, if it's if it's officially sponsored or run by GW. Mm. Then I think that cl- classifies so it, has, it as a gl- grand yeah. clash because at Nova, it, the guys that from GW were there, and that was a right. grand clash. Yeah, but this was this was like I think there there was an official like grand clash like prize support kit. Right, you got um, that special little card. At, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You get we get two. You get one for top four, and then one for winning, which I didn't know before. Right, and I got it for winning. I was like, oh sweet. And you what get is one that? For Just a table. little card, or is it? Does it? Does it have any function? Or so I don't. Because I, I have one too. I have a I have a top yeah. four and I, I have no idea what you do with it. Yeah, because when I won the first I won my top four one like last year with dwarfs and I was like, What do you do? I asked the staff because it was a Warhammer World as well. And I was like, What is this? What do you do? And they were like, 
just keep it. It'll be good. It'll be relevant sometime. Well, yeah. Like, what right, if it's okay, like some sort of like Willy Wonka esque like golden ticket thing? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. It's I'm just saying. Like, no. I'm saying like that would be a I, really good thing to do. I like think, if you have I, this, you can get into this big tournament. Yeah. I would love to see like an invitational style tournament with with those cl- those cards are your invitation. Yeah. I, just, I think that would be really sweet. I just hope it's on a good weekend. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what if it's just like a cheat card where you can play it like during a random game? And right. right. To, it's like a wild card. And you, and you, ha- and you yeah. get to cancel someone's ploy, but then you have to like tear it up afterwards. Or oh. you, can count, you can count it as any card in the game. Right. <laughs> and it could be like a double. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah, it be, yeah. Can it be time? It's double sided. <laughs> yeah, you're playing. You're playing against goblins, and you're like, and I will drop my check. My my, 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 my second shard gale. Shard gale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. The sex glory shard gale. <laughs> Sounds great. Can 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 we? Can we? Sure. Seems good. Um. Sure. All right. So, tell us about the, 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 the this deck that you put together. Um. We would like you to start if you could on the restricted cards that you used, which were uh, fired oh. up, escalation, yep. my turn, ready for action, and alone in the darkness. Yes. So, Spend a little extra time on that one, if you please. So, um, obviously, fired up. Like fired up, they have the easiest one. Can they have the, one of the easiest inspire conditions in the game? And why? Like it's just easy glory. Like this is curse breakers for anybody who yeah, didn't know. Breakers, right. Curse breakers are so, the are the grand clash winning faction. Yes, okay. um, I try and always look at my deck and include a high percentage of cards I can score on turn one without. Uh, opponent interaction basically right. assuming my opponent turtles at the back or doesn't let me engage with them includes some cards that you can score regardless of that so that's why um i have like fired up uh alone in the dark as well magical supremacy mm. uh, master of war shining example and harness the storm um that all of those cards are scorable even if my opponent doesn't let me doesn't engage with them even a little bit yeah um beyond that uh what we got escalation escalation is just it it's one of the easiest two glory cards in the game because uh, especially in turns two and three yes it's right. it's weaker on turn one yes. um it's possible though because i have spoils right um so like i've seen games where like if you get spoils off and then get one kill with a score immediately it's very easy it's very possible to do escalation on turn one as well it's not it's not the easiest thing in the world but it's doable um my turn is for a while there and i'm not sure i, I think i think the post malogs and uh dark oath uh f- like there's a lot of damage buffs in there and i think four health might be going back to the pre-bar list where four health was still like you just got one shotted mm. but um in the run-up to the grand clash uh four health was actually super relevant like i didn't i found my stormcast weren't getting one shotted as much as the where a while back plus especially i've got three wound upgrades in the deck so like it's very common to get to use my turn and functionally it's just it's more attacks like the the deck just it just lets me make more attacks basically um it also stops uh you can also use it even just for the push away um so let's say someone comes in and they're going for the hit you uh upgrade ready for action kill you you can uh, my turn away from that and stop that kill um so i've seen games where i I only use it for the push effect because the push effect is brilliant um ready for action is just the best ploy in the game i agree like put it in every deck everyone yep it's not even a it's not even a conversation quite frankly um 
So Alone in the Darkness. Uh, so everyone, basically everyone expects Extreme Flank. And everyone position, everyone counters Extreme Flank. And everyone plays on edge hexes. And everyone has hidden paths. And, everyone ha- and a lot of people have Encroaching Shadow. And a lot of people like people the, the edge hexes are scary because if you're on the edges it's easy to trap you um and people can head and pass in people can um people can push you off with distraction and all of that makes like all of that makes being on ed- edge hexes worse and also because you've only got three models in, in starting um spellcast you actually like what I found was I had to I had to set up for uh, extreme flank, and then my positioning was often thrown off for the rest of the game because I'd set up like that and I had to spread my warband way out. So it, it was a struggle. Like someone could come in, kill one of my models, and then I couldn't counterattack effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of was thinking about this a lot, and I was like, I got to the point where I was like, do you know what? I I don't think I run extreme flank. And then I was looking through my cards to replace it, and I was like, "Do you know what? I haven't seen anyone run alone in the darkness since the banned and restricted list." Yeah, yet. I haven't either. And do you know what? No one possessions against that card anymore. Like, because it used to be everyone like tried to leave one model next to each other to to stop score to stop your opponent scoring it, and now no one does that. Everyone, it's it's great if you ever have two models on edge hexes by accident. People will go and like try and disrupt that and move you about and worry that you're scoring extreme flank and you're like i don't care sure spend your spend your distraction spend your resources right 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 that's the truth because we were just talking about how i got stopped up by uh by uh, i forgot the damn card again what is this not tactical supremacy it's the other one genius tactical genius genius, i was not looking for that like why would i look for that and I, i see that i think yeah i think there was definitely some strength to playing a card not playing a card that everyone's playing and playing a card that no one's playing, if you get me, and it's plays. Because yeah. no one is... People are ready to counter Extreme Flank. No one's looking to counter Alone in the Darkness right now. Yeah, I think that may change as a result of this being in my deck. And I think of, <laughs> I'm not the only one who spotted this. I know a few other people who I've talked to brought it to the Clash as well. Because um, a few other people had done the same math, basically. Um, and realised that actually... Subop, like especially with three model warbands, extreme flank leads to suboptimal positioning a lot of the time. And I would rather have the freedom to position my models where I need them to be rather than have to worry about scoring extreme flank. Yeah, I mean, that, that's also um, an argument for not using keep them guessing. Yes, yeah, I, I struggle to include keep them guessing because you have to take suboptimal turns. Yes, you do. Yeah. In order to score that card. And I, I like I prefer the freedom to do what to to win the game. Like I don't know. I I don't like having to structure one of my entire turns around one card, which yeah. is too yeah. glory. It, like, it's, it can get pretty awkward sometimes. Yeah. Like if you get it on turn one, it's fantastic. It's one of the best cards in the game if you get it on turn one. If you get it on turn like three and you're like, I can't I can't do this. Like I I can't spend an activation going on guard here. You know what I mean? Which yep. is like the opposite argument for having something like conquest or or a superior tactician, where you don't want to get it at the beginning, but it's better at the yes. end. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's better to get something that's good no matter what. And yes. alone in the darkness, you can score anytime. Alone in the dark, yeah. And weirdly, um, if you're facing a small model warband, like we saw in the in the final, oh, you guys didn't watch it, but the final of the Grand Clash, like 
it was McGore's v uh it was McGore's v spellcast obviously so there's only seven models on the board yeah and i just scored alone in the darkness like without having to do anything or commit any resources to doing so i scored alone in the darkness just happened for, two, for two glory yeah, like for for doing nothing and even against bigger model warbands you often get to score on turn two and three once you've killed like three or four models which is likely because you're playing so aggressively yes like this is a it, this deck is a kind of weird hybrid where it it has enough passive glory to get the train rolling but it also does a lot of damage yeah, that was the thing that I've been trying to do with my Magor's deck is to have more passive scoring. And I took mm -hmm. out a lot of the um, the force multipliers like Trap, mm -hmm. Pit Trap, and, and I think Twist is also out now. Uh, yeah. So that I could put in stuff like Extreme Flank, yes. uh, like uh, Escalate, put Escalation back in. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and uh, I don't know, I haven't played enough with it yet, but I think that, you, I, I think that the idea of having just passive scoring that you can do no matter what's just going to happen is so important in this game. Yeah. Because just to accidentally get glory if a big you're deal. Well, you if also did uh glory. you did the shard gale and blooded or whatever yeah i put those two in yeah. shard gale and blooded that you um, don't have to do anything either you just play those yeah. and yeah. it's not it's not right it's not blooded it's uh there's a McGorge rivers, of McGorge, one. Yeah. rivers of blood yeah rivers of blood that's the one yeah um, there's also if you're interested there's a in a more passive mcgore's uh mike carlin that uh on steel city underworlds did quite a passive mcgore's deck um which you can probably find on that blog i'll have to go take a look um which is the one that i <clears throat> when i won uh when i won glass with mcgore's it was a, a variant of that list like i i took that basic list swapped out about eight cards and then went and won glass with it mm. so it's a really solid basis like I, i'll have to go take a good look but um let, let, but let's move on um hero's mantle yeah really it yeah Nobody's, it's like it's gunning a... for storm sire yeah, but like I have, I can make him have nine wounds if I need to, and he has yeah. what? And once he's inspired, then he is always inspired. That's true. Um, he has two shields, Rolling which two is dice. like that's pretty good. Yeah, like two two dice shields is like it's the best defensive stat in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know. I just find I may I may struggle to include Hero's Mantle in a world where um, uh, Tome of Offerings and Bag of Tricks exist. I will say that. Uh, um, you but bag of tricks again. That's like a new one. It's the new one where you can uh, the model that's on spends an spends an activation, gets a charge token, and you can look through your deck and oh, throw and any card you want. Power card, right? Yeah, which is utterly ridiculous. Yeah, like it, yeah. it's brilliant. I would, I would do that. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, but for now, like I don't, I, I quite, I don't know. Storm Sire survives enough of my games that Hero's Mantle was worthwhile. I'm, I'm not sure it is now, but. Okay um yeah it's it's free glory like destiny to me is good heroes Mantle is good yeah that's true i mean it, it, it's definitely a good card i just i, I feel as though he's such a target and yeah so... he is he definitely is and you end up in a weird mini game where you're both spending like four ploy cards in a turn and three upgrades trying to trying to either kill or get around storm sire mm. um but i don't know like <clears throat> maybe just for me but i found he survived enough that it's worthwhile Sounds good. Um, about uh, let, let's talk about Fainway. You do you don't like Fainway yes. that much? I kind of hate the cards. Um, yeah. So for me, and this again, a lot all of this is your mileage may vary and my opinion stuff. You know, what I mean, like, I, I'm not, right, and I'm not course. saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm right here. It's just my opinion. I'm sure. Um, don't worry. Just so, go for it. 
Um, I have been in a number of situations and I've seen a number of situations with Fainway where it's actively a disadvantage to have it on a model because you have to make it as the next advance. And yeah. so you don't have the option of just advancing normally. Mm-hmm. And so if you're playing against um, particularly objective heavy opponents where they're they're, they're setting on the objective, yeah. or um, if they just move away from the objectives, yeah. A lot of the time, the card, like, a lot of the time I find that card actually jams up your hand. It ends up getting discarded, because I don't think it's that useful, or uh-huh. it doesn't, it just doesn't, it, well, I mean, it's just suboptimal, like, a lot of the time. But then, as I, as I talk about in this article, like, 20% of the time, it wins you a game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you just, I mean, for, so who, who are you feinwaying if you feinway anybody? It's, like, Stormsire? Uh, usually Stormsire, and because you're sitting you, at somebody you can still shoot. Yeah, yeah, basically, because if right. you feign away one of the others, obviously their threat from any objective hex is much, much lower than Stormsire's. Right. Like Stormsire against, as uh, again, in the Clash final against Magors, uh, I had Fainway on Stormsire because we were both playing super standoffish. And then um, I put Fainway on, on Stormsire and bounced onto his objective because I, I had put two objectives in his um and his board and those two objectives plus the range three from stormsire meant i covered like his entire board like oh, i so could you threaten put all five objectives in his side no no i just i put two and then he put two in mine because he had oh, okay. so way as well wanted... i gotcha right yeah like, that it... happened when i played against uh dan he runs a very aggressive far strider list like full yeah. tilt aggressive far strider no passive yeah, yeah, scoring yeah. at all and he was putting the objectives down and he put one um you know, on the midline and then like one space away from the midline on his board. And he was like, well, you probably have Fainway Crystal, so I'm just going to put my objectives like right in the middle of everything. Yeah. So it's useless for you. And I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it doesn't matter if you're playing against like Magors, like the chances are they're not playing objectives, right? So it right. doesn't matter if you put your objectives in their half to act as Fain. Like I more often than not now view um, my objectives as just Fainway bounces. Right, like interesting, but I I, I don't know. I, it's a card I I I have honestly considered cutting on multiple occasions because I'll have like four games where it does nothing and functionally might as well not be in my deck, and then you have the Grand Clash Final where it help where it like actively helps win me the game, and I'm like, God, I can't really take this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I don't like I don't I'm not a big fan of cards like I'm a big fan of cards that are always useful to some extent rather than cards that are sometimes super useful yeah, and sometimes useful. not not useful. Yeah, I mean I I think that's kind of the way to go about it for the most part because if you overcommit to any one particular thing, you're gonna run eventually. And like if you're playing a tournament, you play like five you know matches in a row. You're yeah, gonna run into something that's a hard counter, and then you're just gonna be screwed for that round. Yeah, or you're just gonna have that that one situation where none of your like fifty fifties or none of your none right. of the you're yeah you're just not getting any of them, you know. Exactly. Okay, uh, tell us uh, one more thing. Uh, tell us about Absos Unmaking. Absos Withering is obvious. Like, so Absos but... Unmaking for uh, so I, I I don't know if you read the previous uh, articles I've done about the deck, but I used to have mischievous spirits because when the BER list came out, I was like, I think. Um, we call it the Woo Bar, by the way, the Warhammer Underworlds banner. The Woo, the Woo Bar, because everybody's deck got Woo Bard. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, uh, make that a thing. Make that a thing. The Woo Bar. Bring it across the pond, man. It's on you. All right, All right okay, man. I'll try that. Yeah, I'll go. try and slip it in. 
There you go. Um, so I used to. Uh, so I thought after the woo bar, I thought. See, it slides right. Sounds in. good. It's, really, Sound... it's got yeah, it's got a good mouthfeel. Yeah, yeah, better yeah. with the accent, I have to say. Right. Yeah. The woo bar. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, so you were using I, mischievous I, spirits. Yes, I thought the uh, objectives were good, basically, and I was worried about objective decks, so I put in mischievous spirits, and that's really good. Like mischievous spirits is good, but obviously against like aggro cards, against aggro deck, sorry, it's completely useless. Well, no, that's not true. I have used it against an aggro deck to move an objective, so I could then famely charge and hit a model, yep, 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 which okay. is really fun. But you need um, that. You need that that combo though. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it basically it's a dead card against aggro. Yeah. And then I was looking through spells because um I was finding actually sometimes it's a bit of a pain to score Harness Storm and Magical Supremacy. With just um, attacks, yeah. Outside of turn one, because a lot of the spells you want to cast after turn one is Storm Sire blasting with his magic uh, fulminations. And obviously they were attack rolls, so your opponent can just roll good dice or you can roll bad dice and you don't cast spells. Oh, so you're just right. I ran so into that with uh with uh, Zinch. Yes. So you're just using it so that you have something to cast. Uh, to an extent. So like at worst, that card is inspiration strike. Right. As well. For, for your warband, absolutely. And if yeah, you yeah. use Storm Sire, it's it's one zap, right? Yeah, it's one zap, so it's uh, an 89%. So fundamentally, like basically, it's a copy of Inspiration Strikes at absolute worst. At best, um, like I had a game at the Clash where a guy spent an entire turn getting three models onto objectives, and I literally just like got to the final end phase and was like, cool, I'll just remove that objective. <laughs> and like, I thought he was going to cry. Oh yeah. my God. Like, it was brutal. And then also... It I would have cried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I wouldn't blame and shit him. myself. Like, <laughs> Jeez. Oh, Randall. Yeah, I, yeah, it's like that. It's like that, dude. Episode, what I get, I get passionate about this game. They're really passionate. Yeah. Wow, that's. I would regular. argue too passionate. Oh, the passion poop, y'all. Also, by the way, I'm really glad I can swear because I've been deliberately not swearing for the first like for the whole part of this because I didn't know if I. Well, well, you, well, you can't swear. I can. Oh, <laughs> what? No, no, everybody, don't worry. We're okay, not. Right, we, just, we have no I'm ad just, support. I'm don't just having fun. We're sweet. We're um, guys hanging out in their apartments, talking to another guy hanging out. In yeah, apartment. I think awesome. we're good. I wasn't, I wasn't sure because obviously some podcasts are like family friendly and stuff. So I wasn't sure. I meant to ask before we started recording, but um, fuck it. Eh? Yeah, yeah, fuck it. Fuck it. Um, so yeah, no. At, at best, it completely ruins objective decks and it triggers two of my objectives and inspires a model at the same time. All right, all right. I see like, that. Now. The yeah. the value you get out of that card, like because inspiration strikes, is also. Like, Inspiration Strikes is incredible. Having a card that is basically just Inspiration Strikes, but a billion times better in that deck? Oh, yeah, in that deck especially. Because even if you have uh, one of the, uh, you know, one of the other two do it, they get, what what is it it they get when they... Well, he has Harness the Storm, is a score immediately when somebody successfully casts a spell. So it could be for that, yeah. You can inspire them and then they hit harder or more accurately, Yeah, so they they hit both harder and more accurately. So they they both go to three three dice hammers, and one of them is two damage cleave, one of them is three damage knockback when they're inspired. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, it's it's incredible. And it also helps to score uh, Magical Supremacy, which is the other one... Um, the other card yeah, I have that, that is cast two spells, yeah, cast two spells. Which, um, if your if your dice hate you, having at least two spells in your power deck, so you don't have to rely on hitting uh, attacks, 
yeah. or, or rely on uh, one dice inspirations for uh, the two Amazon Rastos as well. Oh, I hate those things. They never land for me. Whenever yeah. Play, <laughs> yeah. I roll, every we, time I do it, I roll a focus. Uh, when I play against him, he's like, okay, I'm going to power up Rastus and I mean, focus. Next, I'm like, next, oh. next activation will do it. Next activation. Yeah. yeah. But then the That's flip nice. side to that is when you go with your first activation, you roll you roll the, the lightning and you've got harness the storm. So you're like, cool. So this model inspires and gets a gets in power, so I have to reroll attack dice and also I score an objective. Yeah. And also I get glory. And then you have to do the objective that I get. Too good. Nice. That's true. Yeah. Season nerf. All right. Harness the, harness the storm might be the best objective in yeah, the game. Yeah, it pretty Factual. much is. It's, it's faction expansion. Like, yeah. Faction specific. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. In in the context of its faction, I think it's the best. Right. I, I think got it's the louder there as I tried to speak clearly. <laughs> all right uh last thing i want to ask you is um because i think the rest of the stuff that you have in there makes a lot of sense yeah. um th those were the only ones where we we're like hmm, okay but um one thing is uh, that we also want to ask you because our last episode was about um board selection um was did you have a board selection like which board yes. you would choose depending on what happened so we're just curious to know was there a single board that you would use no matter what or was there a board that you would win when you won the role or one that you would do when you lost the role? Or would you just kind of look at your opponent and be like, this is what I want to do? Um, yeah, board choice is one that like I see other I see like bloggers and stuff doing like big articles on like board selection and how like, oh, you should always do this one if you're attacking and this one if you're I tend to just look at my opponent's board. Like I like the one um I know none of the names, by the way. So this could be a problem, but I like one of the ones that was in the original, the the original core box. Uh, I know what it is. One, the one with the three spaced or the four at the back, like the kind of bluish one. Does it have any block texts on it? No, no. All right, so that's Catafrain's reliquary then, right? Yes, he said hesitantly. I don't know. I really like that one. Um, it's good. It's a good general one. It's it the one that has a lot of. Uh, starting hexes on the edges. Yeah. Uh, depending on where you go, I should really learn the names. I should really definitely learn the names. You like this is. So you, I think you can tell that I don't like. I don't super pay attention. Like board board placement is something I tend to do on the fly. Like okay. I never ever use ones with lethal hexes because I don't gain anything from that. Right. Right. Um, I tend so, sorry, not... you said it was three block taxes or no? No, no, it's three um, kind of in the middle uh, with a space of one hex between them. Uh, and then on the, the other side... The mirror well. The mirror well. And there's no block taxes or lethal. There's no block, no lethal, and it has three... And then it, on the other side, it has like four very close to one edge. Yes. That's yeah. the mirror well. That's the one that you... Because I like that because what if you're if your opponent gets the place whichever way they turn it you have either three at the back or four at the back yes you do you're right um i, mean, I like that one for you're a little further away like um so, if you do it uh the the hallway version there's one the, way where they're really close and one way they're they're a little bit further back but they're all very like good options for a three you know a three fighter war band yeah. where one of them shoots it's pretty good yeah it's pretty decent like that's that tends to be the the one i use most of the time because um i tend to find using blocked hexes can when you have ranged weapons like rank two or three blocked hexes can um mess you up as much as the mess your opponents up uh, or often more um because your ranged attacks are more likely to have line of sight block through blocked hexes like if someone uh, hidden past or fain ways into your backfield it can be harder for uh, storm star to turn about face and go and cast spells at them 
So I tend not to use ones with block hexes or ones with lethal hexes because I don't gain anything from having lethal hexes on my board. It's just it's just something someone can knock me into and kill me. Again, it's like the extreme flank argument where I prefer to have free movement available. Like I prefer to be able to position my models perfectly. And I can see the potential gains from like lethal hexes and, and block hexes, but it would affect my positioning. And it means like, oh, do I want to stand next to this lethal hex? But this is the place I want to stand, but it's next to a lethal hex. I would rather not take that into account. I'd rather just be like, no, I want to stand there, so I'm going to stand there and not have to worry about a lethal hex. So yeah, I tend to just go with, um, I tend to just look at the board state and be like, okay, so what? What board seems good here? I don't think that much about it, really. All right, that's okay. So, <clears throat> but with the placement, or with the, you know, when you went, let's say, you know, you, I think there was one um, game you said against Farstrider, you did the diagonal deployment, so you made it so there was yeah. only like three. How do you, yeah, how do you yeah. feel about placing the board? You do you like to go um, like the long board a lot, or do you like to go diagonal, or do you like to go straight um, up? horizontal so sometimes. so against uh so generally so generally there's there's kind of rules where um straight up like normal sort of in in quotation marks normal setups like not long boards with all of the hexes connected that's wide. good if you're facing like large model warbands because that lets you get it lets you set up where you can get all of your models into the enemy half and start killing boys mm -hmm um long boards uh sorry diagonal so when you've only got like three hexes across um that's if i'm facing something uh like force riders where i want to be usually that's the only force riders i bother doing that for but like something where i want to minimize their space to get into my half because that's their inspire condition uh, and then wow. longboards is against stuff like magors like basically pure aggro so like magors reavers Right, um, which is the reason, by the way, why I play Fainway in my main yes. deck because I'm afraid that people will do that, and then I have a way to jump. Yeah, in. for sure. But then they just stand on the objective. Yeah, they stand on the objective. Right, yeah. and they can't get <laughs> like, or I, I had in the Grand Clash final where um, the guy uh, set up uh, Fainway, uh, an objective between two of my starting hexes to be a Fainway target, and I just yeah. uh, have a sauce on making the, on the ah, first. There you go. And uh, that card. card. Yeah, it's really. It's you had really everything cool. you needed, man. You had everything you needed. Speaking of which, let's get to it. Cool. Okay, let's talk about this grand clash. All right. So, first of all, for those of you, for those of you at home, uh, Bryce, can you tell us what Warhammer World is like? Well, I just want to preface this: in the U.S., we don't get to go to Warhammer World. You know, it's it's a it's a huge flight to go there. Yeah. So we like kind of think World. of it as the the the. Uh, Mecca, Holy Ground, like Disneyland yeah, type, yeah. type era. We don't know what it's like there. So no. it's it's very like Disneyland. It stretches over fourteen hundred acres. Um... <laughs> fourteen hundred acres? Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Wow. That's good. It's it has roller coasters. It has. Oh, oh so uh... it's like it is legit. It's got. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> okay. sorry, I am I am just lying blatantly. You are right. lying. But yeah. it's interesting that you bought that. Like, wow, you guys really don't know what this well, is because like. Because we're really dumb. We assume everything has a roller coaster <laughs> next to it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, yeah, that is, you guys go to like Taco <laughs> I mean, Bell and there's a roller coaster. Right, right. Exactly. Right. Or or at least like a playground of some sort. There's, there used to be a Toys R Us in Times Square, there's a Ferris wheel in it. So, wow, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, we have so much to teach each other. Uh, Rip yeah. Toys R Us. 
Rip, yeah. R.I.P. Yeah, they they went out. You guys, did you guys have that in the UK? Yeah, we had Toys R Us. Yeah. Love so that. you're saying Warhammer oh, okay. World? It, it's kind of like a museum, sort of. So Warhammer World is 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 huge. So it's it is actually it's not for it's not four hundred acres. That is a blatant lie. Okay, um, really convincing the way you put that up. I'm just saying. I am very we so. We discussed this before we did the episode, and I still so like that. I, I, I'm pretty sure you can tell by now, my humor is super dry. Mm. So, like, I will just say nonsense, but in a super deadpan voice, and it's yeah. up to you to figure out when I'm lying. Oh, that's 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 very uh, convincing. <laughs> um, All right, so, so it's like a museum. It, it has a museum. So, basically, um, there is... Uh, it's, it's a bit, it is a big building, like, maybe... Oh, I don't know. I, I couldn't guess the size, but inside you have so the gaming space. Obviously, they have space for 166 Shade Spire players, and there's other um, like Warhammer, like Age of Sigmar and 40k tables set up that they are like studio built ones that you can play on. Nice. Um, there's a massive Forge World store, and um, a massive store with like uh, T-shirts and mugs and stuff that you can't really get anywhere else. And then there's also just a normal like retail, like imagine a games workshop, like a, a Warhammer store, a games workshop store, but with everything they make right. and like a huge black library section. And like it, it, it is a pretty massive store. And then you've got the gaming space, which um, has like, uh, oh, I'm trying to think, what, trying to, what's the word? Um, it has like decorative stuff around the walls. So it, like it looks like you're inside a castle courtyard. Like it has yeah. walls around the outside of the room that are made up to obviously look like you're inside a castle. So the ambiance is nice. <laughs> yeah, the ambiance is yeah. incredible. Okay. Um, and then there's a pub called Bogman's. Oh. Um, which is literally like it is a it is it is a big big pub. Like it does food and it does like you can get beers well, or I like where my tea. opponent's been drinking heavily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I I tend to drink heavily, so. We're in. We, we should have a game sometime. It'd go yeah, well. It works for you, man. You're like Snurk Tower Tongue. You just like drink a lot and still kill everything. Now I want to know. <laughs> I want to know how much was it to go to this? How much money? Uh, in quid. How many? How many quids? Twenty five quids. Twenty five quids. Was that like twenty five pounds? No. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot. That's, yeah, it's like like. And then so, did, you, did you have to pay to park there? No, no. Okay. Paid, that... paid for parking is. It's not as big a thing over here, I don't think. Okay. Like it's it, it depends on the area. Like if you're in like a city center, yeah, but like buildings and like event spaces tend to have their own parking. Oh yeah, by the way, sorry, I didn't actually explain the, the final bit about Warhammer World, which you've got the bar, and then you also have like the museum, which has a ton of dioramas and models and stuff that from G Dub over the last thirty years. Nice. And it culminates in uh, a diorama that is um 30 feet across so it's 30 feet square and it has uh something like some like fifteen thousand individual models on it and it's like ultramarines versus chaos with demons and stuff and it is utterly breathtaking like it is genuinely incredible like it took uh, there's a sign next to it that says it took something like nine professional modelers no I don't know. It took, it took a lot of professional modelers a year to build. Yes. Like, it's huge. Like yeah, the, I've seen the pictures. Yeah, yeah. It's enormous. It's it's really cool. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, 25 great. quid. 25 quid to get in, and you get... Uh, that's, like, lunch included. Oh, um, lunch included. Oh, well. Yeah. 
There you go. You, you include lunch. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in for 25 quid. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. All right. So that sounds good. Um, let's 25 talk quid yeah. in U.S. dollars is 32.73. Oh, oh God, that is horrible. That's, that's not that's a because good we. For you. What happened? Uh, we decided to just shoot ourselves in the head. Oh, I remember um, that. Yes. Yeah, that we was. We don't get was... political here, but. I yeah, yeah. Let's let's not about... get political, but we just we. Yeah. Yeah. We no, made no. some bad. We made one bad decision that has somehow taken that is somehow still happening. Yeah, we, we we're seeing about that. We're seeing about yeah. that. But but you're you're Scottish or no, yeah, I'm Scottish. Scottish. Yeah, because I from what I remember, because I was in Scotland two summers ago oh, uh, in Edinburgh and uh, my yeah. Highlands a little bit, and I just remember uh, everybody was really really mad about that, and it seemed to be everybody. Yeah, because Scotland was very very heavily voted to to remain. Right. Like very heavy, like some like sixty three percent. Yeah, I remember seeing something about how you guys were like, "Oh, maybe we'll just not be part of the UK anymore." Uh, and that hopefully. got shot down, anyway. right? Yeah. All right, let's move on. Yeah, to, so, let's, yeah. Let's, let's avoid politics. So we had to, we we looked yeah. at anyway. the article that you wrote on Cataphrane Relic. Yes, and you know you can anybody can go and look at that and great segue, Randall. Right. So it, it, you can go and see oh. the the games. But the thing yep. that we wanted to ask you was, you know, your just your your out of the game experience at Warhammer World. Um, you said that there was some there was issues with uh, organization. Yeah, so they were obviously like what I will say: the people who were working there that day, um, they they were doing their best. Like they 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 were obviously working very hard to try and make the event run. But they had about five staff for an an event with one hundred and sixty six people. Yeesh. Like what that, they didn't Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, yeah. Uh, okay. And like they did not have, they only had one person to input data, for instance. Right. So you're taking in results from 83 games every round, and there's Everybody's one person doing paper. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these so, were Games um, Workshop employees, or these were volunteers? Like they were, yeah, they were Games Workshop employees. Okay. Right. Uh, so like I know uh, Nick Baton from the community team was there, and. Uh, what's his name? Dave Summon, the the lead developer of Shadeswire. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, was there Dave as well? Sanders, he was. He was like, yeah, sounds yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah, so he was like the the head judge, you know. Right. Um. But yeah, they just didn't. They didn't have enough people, and then like obviously, I don't know what formats they were, what um, software they were using, but it obviously crashed at some <laughs> point because like for round two, they literally read out everyone's names over the tannoy, and like that's a hundred and sixty people. <laughs> Right. So they had to be like, so uh, table yeah. one is Dave Smith versus okay. Bryce Johnston and or whatever, and they had to do that for all eighty-three tables. Like, yes. that it, yikes! No, no, like printouts or anything. No, no, no. It, it was that, that was as someone that's run a lot of tournaments himself. Like that is that's the worst like, possible scenario. That is that is a nightmare. Yeah, right. Um, but then everything so, got up and running after that. Uh, no, so basically. No. Um, Basically, lack of staff and the the sort of generally poor system. And there was delay. Like there was really long delays between each round. Right. And so the tournament was built to finish at six. Like was built to be completely done by six, and it wasn't done until about God must have been close close to eightish. So it finished about two hours, like before the final, I should say. Oh. Um. It was so close wait, wait, to so eightish. So there was what? There was five rounds or something? How, how many so rounds was, was it supposed to be? Basically, there was four rounds. 
Um, after which they caught to the top two, and then we played a final. Just a so, top two. Yes. Because the math on that, which you pointed out, doesn't really add up. Because if yeah, you so four rounds, you're gonna have how many people that are undefeated? Ten ish. Ten ish. I think it's ten or eleven, depending on how like pair ups and pair downs go. Right. So they didn't so, even go to like a cut to the top eight or anything like that. Yeah. No. No. So yeah. Team, which would have probably been fair. So it cuts to the top two. So it's literally like literally who has had because and this is the this is the thing that really gets up and gets my goal is that you're heavily rewarded for playing people that are way worse than like you're actively hoping for the first four rounds right. that you just get you just like get new players or people that you can easily beat because that right. gets you really good tiebreakers right and tiebreakers are the only things that matter like if you lose like i almost left after round one because i lost i went two one in my first round and I was like, well, I've dropped a game, so I probably can't get into the final now. Right. And that's after winning round one. And it was only because I managed to get really good glory death from my next three rounds that right. I qualified. But, like, it, it's just not a fair system. Like, and it's not, it's not a system that's fun, really, because you're like, whoever, like, the bigger the tournament is, the better odds you have of just getting worse players than you for the first four rounds right because yeah. the the good like the, the players you're scared of get spread out amongst the larger right. because you because it's the, the the top glory winners in of, of a certain amount of wins play the bottom glory winners of a certain amount of wins yeah it's something to do with that as well so like and also because say there's like 20 players at, at the clash that, that would beat you right yeah there's 140 other people that you're probably going to get. Like, yeah. it, and if two of those players run into each other, even if they don't, um, like, whoever wins probably still can't get into the final now because they probably went 2 1 and probably don't have, like, this a super high glory death because their their skill level is about equal. Yeah. I, um, I, rem- I not, not to interject, but I remember when they did mine down at uh, Nova, is that um, I didn't play anybody super dangerous until mm-hmm. the very last round of the round robin yeah um and then and then even and then what they did was they split us into pods uh-huh. so you were like in a top eight like second tier eight third tier eight last tier eight down down the line and it wasn't until i was in that top pod that i really had super difficult games yeah but i mean but those were like the elite players who were there so that kind of yeah. makes more sense so this was basically uh yeah like anyway. a 160 person just Swiss tournament yeah. with a top two cut at the end. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. after after, after need, yeah. needed like you, six rounds for that to be good. I, I mean, ideally, so I Maybe my my background my background tends to be War Machine and and Gil Ball, where tournaments are you play until you have one person who is undefeated. So you would need seven. If you're doing 166, you need seven, maybe eight rounds right, right. to get a clear winner. Which, on one hand, I like. On one hand, I I think G Dub could. So they market the game as the ultimate competitive miniatures game. Competitive integrity sort of suggests that they should change up their format so that you don't have a situation where people who go. Who, who say go 4 0 but lose a game in round one don't even have a chance of getting into the final. Mm-hmm. But the flip side is but the flip side is I think the only fixes I have are run smaller tournaments or run two day tournaments. Yeah, and from day, yeah. like 
from their point of view, they can sell 160 tickets for a one day event. Why? Why do they care? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we were saying it... they should have capped it out at like only sold like 80 tickets or whatever. And yeah, they could yeah, have had yeah. a four round Swiss but, and, or had yeah. two concurrent ones and then have like yeah, each. But it, the at the same, but then at the same time, they're just that's halving the re- that's halving their, their income, revenue yeah, yeah. for literally no gain. Like they like. I guess I can see how it'd be hard to push for change on their front because the the game like the game is obviously doing well enough that they don't need to change it. But as a competitive player and for a game that's marketed as the ultimate competitive miniatures game, competitive integrity should be important. I think. Agreed. But yeah. Well, but Games I, Workshop I, does often sacrifice uh, integrity for monetary gain. Yeah, and I often. Yeah. Yeah, but I think yeah, I mean, you can see with Shadespire where they are still getting used to the idea of it being a competitive game mm-hmm. and it being a it being a it's game. Successful. Yeah, like because it is really successful, but <clears throat> like their mindset has always been: we make miniatures and we make rules that you can play those miniatures with. Whereas this, like Shadespire, is a different. It's aimed at a different market. It is a it is a game. For right. which you buy miniatures, you not miniatures that you buy to play a game with. Don't have to paint, right? Yeah, Am I which right. Is, which is where all that, that is or wild. Paint, or paint well. It's because, mad. Like yeah. I, I have never, like I've hated painting. Like I don't enjoy painting ever since I was like thirteen and I first picked up uh, Warhammer. Hate, hate painting. Don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Generally, play games like War Machine. Your stuff doesn't have to be painted, except in Worlds, and I always borrowed painted stuff. Uh, and the same with Guild Ball. Uh, your stuff only has to be painted in like the very highest tier competitive play. So I just borrow competitive. I just borrow painted models when it comes to that. And so Shadespire is like a gift for me because if I had to paint models to play in Shadespire tournaments, I probably wouldn't play the game. Well, yeah, like, I mean, I understand the fact. Like, if you go to a, a store or even like a like a twenty person tournament or something like that, not having to paint your models is is fine. But yeah. at Warhammer World, where you're going to be on stream too, yeah. I just I, I don't what? know how they, you know, no, no offense to you because if you don't like painting, but I just it just seems wild to me that that at Warhammer World on stream they would allow you to play with with unpainted models. Well, it's because they're going for a different market than yeah, the traditional games. So. Like it's a completely they want it to be different. That easy to build, put pull yeah, out yeah, of the box they, and play. They yeah. want it to be. They want it to be like everything about Shadespire is focused on. You can pick up and play this game in seconds, like in well, minutes. Okay, minutes. Right. Like when I picked up the corset, I literally I read the rules and had the models built and was playing a game in twenty minutes. Yeah. And that so to to borrow a term from um uh, one of my bosses actually in in uh, game design, it's called the what they use is the Christmas Day test. How soon between you buying the bo- buying your models can you play with your models, and GDOB models traditionally are of a very high time investment before you get to play with them. Shadespire, they're going for a very cheap, very uh, fast game that has a very low Christmas Day test. Like they, a game that you can be playing in 20 minutes. Yeah. And that is that market is what they're aiming for. And it's 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 working, but part of that is relaxing the restrictions on painting. And God bless them for it, because it it's drawing in players like me who right otherwise would never buy a g-dub product if you get me so i've because of Shadespire, i'm a very competitive player who has now spent 200 quid on a game because i don't have to or partially because i don't have to paint it 
you know? And that's not that much to play at the high competitive level that you play at, because I know that with other games, you know, $400, $500 is the buy-in just to play at like the base level. Yeah, for sure. And like, I mean, like maybe 200 and we're like top, you have, you have everything. Yeah. That you would need. And I mean, yeah, that's, that's, it's like you look at 40K or you look at Fantasy or War Machine, like big games where you need to drop, like, as you say, like three, 400 quid to be able to play an army. And I, it's something I've noticed recently with personally, like, I prefer smaller games now. Like, I prefer Shadespire, I prefer Guild Ball because the buy in for Shadespire is very low. The buy in for Guild Ball is about £50 and you can play the top level competitive stuff if you want, you know? Nice. And it's the same for Shadespire. Like, it's, it's a very cheap buy in and the investment. The investment of time before you start playing with your toys is very small, and I like that hmm. because I don't like painting. I I like playing with toys. I don't like painting them, you know. Sure. Um. So, Bryce, can you just recount for us, just maybe in like five minutes or less, the 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 final? Just like tell us, like from what you were seeing, what um, was happening during those games. Okay, so uh, Joel won the board. Uh, won won the the boat one board set up both times which i was not a big fan of because as i mentioned like what 20 minutes ago with magors you want to go long boards um because you want to control the pace of the engagement um so he won uh, engagement he won the board set up uh the first game he kind of came in i don't really remember and then he came in and killed rastus on turn one with the doggo and then amis killed killed uh, doggo and then I scored some passives and got in and kind of started engaging on my terms. I think I killed Magor. Did I kill Magor? Can't remember. I, I'll be honest. Um, I struggled to remember super like a, a lot about those games because like it was games nine and ten. Right, and it was of, like you were expecting them to be. Yeah, yeah, and it was like we didn't finish until about half past nine at night, and I right. I got up at half past six in the morning. So my brain was like messed <laughs> you still up. Managed to win glass at a grand clash. I, mean, I can't believe that. That's like amazing. You're like, I, you're like in a fog. It just sort of. Well, happened. he was playing storm, stormcast. Oh right, right. Yeah. Spellcast. Yeah. You don't have to. Himself, so you don't have right. to do anything to win. It's, it's so like ghost it's, fan of, uh, of 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 underworlds. I got gotcha. you. It's not so bad because I'm used to uh, I'm used to going to uh, a lot of war machine events. Is the ones I used to go to, where you go out like the friday saturday night and you get blind drunk and then you have to show up and <laughs> play to... and then you have to show up yeah, and yeah. play in the morning yeah you have to show up at like 9 a.m and play like super competitive games and um we won like team scotland won the etc three times i think and so like you get it you get the ability to be a barely functional human being and still be able to play toys oh, well. wearing kilts <laughs> tell me you were wearing kilts do you know yeah. what? Yes. Do you, you know were? what? Yeah, sure. You know what? Sure. For you, Max. For you. Sure. Is when you like, imagine it, when you imagine it, we're all wearing kilts. This is the fourteen hundred acres thing again. <laughs> all, right. all right. So, so yeah. So, so the first, so the first one, he came in. Dog dies. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, dog dies. I don't remember a ton about the first game. I know it was fifteen nine in the end. Um, because he, I think he spent like all of his kind of engage cards, like spectral wings and stuff, to get in with that first charge with the doggo. Yeah. And so as a result, because I was sitting at the back of the board, and I had better passives. I, I I caught him off on glory pretty quick, and then um, then there he was ran one. Out, I guess. 
Yeah, he kind of ran out of gas. There was one key attack that he missed, which fair play, um, if he'd hit it, I lose. Which right. was on the last turn, uh, one of his, one of the 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 shit Angle guys. Rose, I think yeah. uh, Zach or Zach or Gary. Zarkus, Zarkus, Zarkus or Gartok. <laughs> Wait, do Zach you mean Blockhead or? Yeah, Blockhead or Peppermint Patty? Because yeah. I I have mine dressed up as uh, the Peanuts gang. Oh right, okay. Yeah, so my so my Gartok is uh is Charlie Brown, and so whenever he like misses, I call him a Blockhead. Uh okay, that's very good actually. Yeah. No, I just Red, Red call him. is the dog, you know, he's like Snoopy. Zach yeah. and Gary. <laughs> Zach and Gary. And, Gary. and Margo. Margo. And Doggo. Yeah. And Doggo. Or Good Girl. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Zach and Gary. is one of Zach and Gary who had like a billion upgrades. And he charged in and had... I think he had like Glory Seeker and maybe Great Strength or something. Basically, it was at a point where... That's that's a one-shot. If yeah. he hits, yeah. If he hits, he kills uh, Stormsire. On three dice? On three dice. But I was inspired, so I had two defense dice and yeah. managed to block it. So like, I don't know the odds of that, but it's probably about 60%-ish. Yeah. Okay. And the fact that that didn't go off meant I scored a shiny example, Hero's Mantle... Right. Uh superior tactician. Like basically it got me like sex glory in one yeah, of the oh, game. Wow. Like there you go. Um and then, and then the second se- game is the infamous yeah, uh, it's, frozen it's, time game. Yeah, so basically uh I by, just... by the way, this is like this Maradona with the hand of God, right? <laughs> you know, this is like that was, I that was the... a football reference for you. That was, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and you called it football as well. And I, I called it football. I'm just I'm just On... making up for the whole kilts thing from a few Footy. Years. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That, well, we call it Fatba. No, now you're remaking it. No, no, no. Okay. So but uh all right, I, I just you made game. a football reference on Super Bowl weekend. Like is that not do you guys not get like shot or something? That's, that's if you tomorrow. Do that? No, we hate the Patriots. Oh, the helicopters are on their way to Max's house right now. <laughs> no, I can't I can't wait for Tom Brady to live dejected tomorrow. It's gonna be great. That's what I'm, I a, I'm a Giants fan, so it's like the only way that you can, You're the only way you can beat Tom Brady is no. The only way you can beat Tom Brady is with an NFC East team. So right. anyway, keep going. So 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 for the so, Frozen into Time game, here we so go. Tell us the about first it. So both so uh, the first turn happened, and I we were both just sitting drawing cards. Uh, I think I inspired Amis and failed to inspire Rastus. So I had the three damage model active. So we had, had the ins- stalemate where. When it's Magors versus somebody else, where both no no one wants to make the first move, so they just yeah, draw yeah, yeah. cards to try to yeah okay yeah yeah. So I was inspiring my guys, and then, and then you were the, able to passively score by empowering and then getting your basically yeah, yeah. I I think I got I think I had Alone in the Dark and Master of War in my hand, and I had uh, Spoils of Battle, so I could score Master of War. I think it was Master of War. It was a one glory. It was a one glory card basically. Right, yeah, it might have been like fired off or something. Sure. I don't know. Um, and I, he actually stole the role, the, the first activation, uh, he, sorry, he stole the role for first activation, even though I had the extra crit for being Stormcast. Ooh. He won and made me go first. So it meant for my first four activations, I literally just tried to inspire these two guys and then, um, and then drew two cards, uh, one of which ended up being frozen in time. And then he dropped Inspiration Strikes on Magor, he dropped Spectral Wings, and at that point I uh, went for the Frozen in Time and got it. And like mentally, he just wasn't expecting it. Like he obviously, because like, there was still stuff he could have done, he could have activated uh, Riptooth and scored Copper Ground um, and gone for like, gotten some glory on the board, but he just 
was so tilted. Yeah, he got so tilted. Um, and it's it, yeah, he just got so tilted because he 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 pinned everything on that one charge, and when he couldn't do that one charge, his whole like you could see mentally he was defeated at that point. I think is fair to say, like regardless of the actual game state, because he wasn't that far behind, and he could have done as I say, he had other options to score glory, and he just didn't see them because he I'm having he wasn't able to make the adjustment. Tilted. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And we were talking about this earlier. You know, you said you talked in the article about how you oftentimes say that you you're a very patient player. Yes. And and what happened in in this circumstance was, you know, you could have used the frozen in time on the first activation. You know, and just said yes. like Magor, he's frozen in time. I don't want to have to deal with him, right? Yeah. But yeah, what yeah. you did was you waited until he used uh, inspiration strikes and. Um, spectral wings spectral wings and yeah. then when it came down to your uh priority in the in the power step you then chose to use frozen in time so that yeah because so and what that essentially did was canceled those two cards and his activation on on magor yeah whereas Basically. if you had just done it right away he could have played inspiration strikes and spectral wings on on zach or gary and or still Rupert. been in the game yeah exactly okay exactly like he it's a key thing about being patient is basically one of the biggest things about Shadespire, one of the biggest things about any competitive miniatures game is learning to only do things when you have to. Like, never do it, never telegraph anything, never do anything before it's relevant because that just let, that just gives your opponent information and lets them adjust. Like, the later you can do something, the better because it gives your opponent less room to maneuver around the thing you did. Right, because of the limited amount of activations. And, yeah. yeah. So, like, if you have four activations to deal with me frozen timing Magor, that's way better than if you have one activation to deal with that. Yeah. Because if you have four activations, maybe you can, like, draw can, cards can or play this. this? For, our last, uh, for our last little segment. You want me to go say okay, this? all right. Oh, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. But let, let, you want to get to the uh, community Q&A? Sure. Yeah. Let's get sure. to it. Oh, wait, right, I so wanted we... to ask one more thing um, before we move on there. This is related to the, the Grand Clash experience. Um, you were saying that when you watched back the the playback of the game, mm-hmm. that the commentators were saying like that the the Magor's player was at like a disadvantage, even though he got to place the board and yeah. threw into spectral wings and inspiration yeah. strikes. I I just I didn't feel that the the commentators were particularly fair on that one because they. Um, they started going on after after the second game about how unlucky Joel's draws had been when um, he drew Inspiration Strikes and Spectral Wings both games on turn one when he needed both of those cards to be able to attack me on turn yeah. one. Yeah, like, and like, sure, he was drawing cards, so like he obviously had eight cards before he had to make the decision, but getting both of those both times is not unlucky. And like his a lot of his draws were really good and it also didn't take into account that like there was one game i think in game t- in turn two i drew up my hand and got four ob- four ob- uh, four upgrades when i had no glory right so like oh sorry i had no uh, unspent glory so right. it was and also yeah him getting winning the board uh selection both times is that's really, huge for me really, yeah. it's huge, huge. It's, it's like a 20 it's like a not 20 maybe 10 15 percent swing yeah um and i i really like i 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't think the commentators were particularly fair because don't get me wrong. I think Joe was a really good player, and there were certain, there were definitely key points in those games where, like the frozen time and that attack in the first game, that going in my favor was huge. And like I, I like dice, dice were a big factor in that game because we're both very good players. But I don't feel the commentators acknowledged a lot of the points where he got a bit lucky because they weren't as flashy as the moments where I got lucky. If you get me. Like I the think frozen... they were looking for things like trap and like twist the knife in his hand. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, I, th- I think they were. They were very focused on on obvious, easy, flashy things that are powerful. They weren't going well. He's won board selection, and that's really good in this matchup. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but that said, I, I don't know. Like the they're nice guys. I think maybe they were just being a bit consolatory. I guess, mm-hmm. like just trying to be. I don't know. I don't know. I felt it was a little unfair. Um, but hey, oh, it don't really matter. Like, I won anyway, don't I? Like, yeah, man, come on. All right. Anyway, speaking hey, of that, Games Workshop. Some people in Stop our. Paywalling group... us. Yeah, really. So, watch yeah. The game. so some okay. people in our community want to want to ask Grand Clash winner a few things. Okay. Are any so of these questions Warhammer Underworlds related? Because, like, they I are... don't know a lot about gardening and shit. Like, no, they're all Warhammer. They're all oh, like, tournament specific. I was really hoping we were going to get some real, like, obscure, esoteric questions here. Uh, let's see. There's one about sex toys. Do you want that one? Yeah, batter in, yeah. No, okay. Um, no, I was kidding. Is oh. clear? Well, that was deeply disappointing. I, well, I mean, I just did it as deadpan as I could. First question. Yeah. Okay, so first question, this comes from Alexander. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna pretend it's Via Gomez. Yeah, Gomez. That's what it looks like. Yeah, Gomez. Yep. Um, he suggested um, an idea of uh, the whole fraction, faction, fraction uh, thing, which I think that the um, the agents of Sigmar would like to do. Um, what do you think about that as a tournament style, where you What's have to the... bring a deck that would have? So, a faction, faction means that a certain percentage, uh, usually fifty percent, of your uh, power and objectives have to be faction specific cards. Um, I think. <laughs> I think in theory that should be the that should be the actual case. In practice, the game is not built like that, and that would be unnecessarily harsh for a, a faction like skeletons who have like yeah. two good faction cards. Yeah, one of my biggest yeah. one of my biggest problems with Shadespire is actually that the universal cards are the better. are generally much more powerful. Way better. Yeah. In season one at least. I will say in season two, um the, the faction cards tend to be much stronger. Um, but in season, for season one warbands, which is still more than half the game, a lot of the time, like the the universals are just better versions of your faction cards, and so that leads to a lot of the game feeling quite stale because you're playing against Magors or Fast Riders, and you're like, well, they've got Faneway, they've got Hidden Paths, they've got Inspiration Strikes, they've got X, they've got Y, you know. Yeah, and they've all and got the same cards. It's quite. Yeah. It can be quite stale. Like even after the banned and restricted list, it's still you still see the same kind of about 20 cards over every deck um and so what i actually wish and I, i'm not sure if there's a way of doing it but what i actually wish they would do is release a pack of like 10 faction cards for every faction and then drastically decrease the power of the universal cards um just so that each warband feels much more unique and each deck is much more unique but that's sorry so to answer the actual question i think in theory that is a good that is a good idea in practice it's wildly unbalanced with the current faction cards. If yeah. you release a pack of faction cards to bring every faction up to the same level, 
all in favor of it, love it. But also, the, those cards should then be powerful enough that you don't have to enforce that as a restriction. It should just happen naturally because those cards are the ones you want, if you get me. Right. And the dilemma is always, you know, they, you know, they, the Games Workshop would like you to buy everything. Yes, you, yeah, for they, sure. And so they don't want to make, you know, if you're if if they make a faction where the in fact all the in faction cards are super powerful, then mm-hmm. you're not going to have to buy Skaven and you know, yeah, Godsworn sure. Hunts, these warbands that you don't want to play, but you know you want to get the cards in there. So there's well, kind of the 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 a decision that they have to make it's, there. It's like, do they want to yeah. make the, the, the warbands feel more unique and, and powerful in their own right, or do they want to force people to buy everything? So I think there's space to make about about half of the cards. So you put in about three ploys, three upgrades, and about half, like maybe six objectives, maybe four or five for each faction that are ones you really, really want to take. And I think um, to an extent, I think Malog's Curse Breakers... Thorns actually probably have the, some of the best faction cards. And I think they do them well where there are objectives and stuff and, and cards that would be busted with any other faction, but you know they're good and it's fine because they are those factions are playtested and balanced around those having those cards. And so I've forgotten the point. I had some in. There was some in there, but it's gone. No, I think I think you've made your point. Yeah, yeah. I think I think basically ideally yes um I, th- faction, this is ideally the way we would want to play it would be to yeah. have half of our decks be faction cards and half of it not you know be universal yes. but it's just not the way that the game is 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 uh set up right now yeah. and if you do that right now you are essentially cutting a lot of factions out of the the running yes yeah. particularly yeah, generally season one factions because season one factions tend to have quite poor faction cards right okay. all right let's uh let's move on to the next question uh, Chris Thomas asks, what advice do you have for uh, tournament first-timers? First time going to a tournament. What, what's the... So very, very first time is um, double-check all your... Like, put everything you're taking in a bag the night before. Like, plan everything you need to take the night before. Put it in a bag, so all you have to do in the morning is grab that bag. Um, bring a bottle of water. Uh, bring a snack. Uh, like Definitely stay else. hydrated and have a snack. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, dear for the mother of God, shower in the morning and put on clean clothes. Please put on deodorant. Yeah, put on put on clean clothes, put on deodorant, shower in the morning because no one likes stanky gamer sweat. Um, and then get there early. And I'm saying this, I'm saying this as someone who runs a lot of tournaments. Don't show up ten minutes before round one is supposed to start, please. Show up like half an hour, 40 minutes in advance with enough time to register, write your deck list out. Because that also means if you get lost on the way to the event, you can, you know, you have time to adjust and find your way and Google map it or whatever. Yeah. And you can find the the pub, the bathroom, you, you know, where all this stuff is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You just, you have a bit of time to kind of get settled and get in. Um, the main thing would be don't panic. Um beyond beyond like very practical tips like that like mentally just just everyone's there to play a game of toy soldiers like i i try and i try and refer to to toys quite derogatorily i guess because it stops me i I try not to take it too seriously yeah because it's at the end of the day we're all we're we're playing a game of toy soldiers we're throwing dice at each other exactly chill out like it doesn't (laughs) matter like at the end of the day no one's like no one's 
getting no one's no one really we're like, not we're not on millions care. of dollars on the exactly line here. yeah yeah exactly. that's that yeah actually i think that's one of the the best things about these games is that we they're not for money yeah because if they were for money like people would get be cheating really crappy like magic yeah, yeah, yeah. really bad like this is just like you get a little like stupid little trophy yeah know? and the, unless the it's trophies a big were one. cool like yeah, the, the trophies were cool but like yeah, right. it's, a, it's a game of toy soldiers. Just yeah, exactly. relax. Don't take it too seriously. Except if it's your first ever tournament, you're probably going to lose a lot of games. But at, like, tell your opponents that you're a new player and ask them for tips and ask them for like situations where you should have done differently. And like, so j- just little things to try and learn. Every time you get beat, you don't really get beat as if you learn something from that game. You know? Takes um, away from every game. That's a really good tip. Yeah, just try and especially, and it can be hard, especially if you lose to dice. Like, if you, it's easy to focus on a dice roll and go, "Oh, I totally lost because I didn't get a half single hammer on that dice." Yeah. Why were you in a position where you needed to hit that one attack? Yeah. Could you have played better so that you didn't need to put everything on that one attack? And just t- try and take a step back and analyze those situations when they come up, and be like, "Could I have done better?" You know. I've played better so that I didn't need to do it to take that 50 50 chance or whatever. All right. Yep. So, yeah. Let's move Excellent. on to the next one. We got Matthew Martin. I'm going to assume it's Martin because there's an E at the end. Um, what percentage of the time are you playing casual versus training for competition? So, um, because my regular opponent obviously is Jamie Giblin and we play like four games a week, usually five games a week, we're pretty much always playing competitively. I, 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 like, we are always, like, training and trying decks out and practicing and stuff. But, like, obviously we're chilled out, we're doing it on a lunch break. Like, I guess, like, I don't really see a difference between playing casually and playing competitively because it's a competitive game. So every game you're learning something, right? Right. No. So no messing around. You're you're always you're always looking, taking mental notes, and trying things. Well, out. yeah. Like, well, yeah. You can mess around, but like, you talk over your deck, and you you look at how you like with me and Gevlin, we'll play the game, and we'll talk over what's happening, and be like, right, yeah. I don't think this card's working. What do you think? Um, stuff like that. Like, and it's really really helpful if you have a a really good local opponent to to practice against. Right. So- do, do do you bounce around to different factions? uh yeah i've played um not not so much more so than i usually do but because like i played dwarf for six months and then i needed a break so i tried force riders and then went to curse breakers and then tried mcgores for a little bit and then now i'm trying out my logs so yeah i, I bounce around a little bit but we all we've also like when me and Gevlin are playing games in the office we will often like i've tried out goblins i've tried out thorns um I think I tried to give him Skaven at one point as well. Just so, yeah, I, I'll I'll tend to try out games and then like see, pardon me, see what faction fits and see what I like playing, and then I'll stick with that for like a couple of weeks or a couple of months and take it to tournaments. Okay, so when you're playing against Jamie on your lunch break, you're, you know, you might play what you consider casually, where you're playing different cards that you've never played before just to to try it out. You're you're yeah. never playing a deck like. I'm only going to play cards where everybody's looking to the left on the card. Yeah, no, like no. You're, like, you're, you're trying to test really do, out different yeah. things, test out different factions so you can get a feel for it, so you learn how to beat them later on. Yeah, or just get practice, because every single game you play is good in some way. Like, you will learn something, you will 
you even if it's something micro like micro small about your own positioning and you mm. just work on your own positioning like you, you learn some ideally you should learn something from every game and just playing games helps like will help you get better it don't matter if you lose every single one it don't matter what happens in the game as long as like if you can look at something and go i did that better than i did that yesterday or i learned that i don't like this card in this deck so i'm going to switch that out you know um but yeah we so obviously like we're on a lunch break we're not taking it super seriously but we are all pretty much always playing competitive decks all right speaking of which i have a question here from somebody who identified themselves as gamey Jibelin. Uh, and he, he uh, asked, uh, what are your thoughts on Tome of Offerings and Rebound now that everybody's going to play Mologs? Uh, <laughs> Tome of Offerings is flat broken. Like, I think I think genuinely that card needs to get banned. Like, at the very least restricted, probably banned. Uh, and Rebound, I hate Rebound so much. I, once, I lost a tournament to Rebound. Yep. Like, yeah. Like what? When, when was that? That was like earlier this. No, just December. Yeah, I I literally lost the game in the final because because of rebound. I hate that card so much, but I would never put it in my deck because it's a one in three. Yeah. And I hate card. I hate cards that have that small chance of working. But every time you play, it, you're like, but what if it comes off? It's the dice roll card that has the lowest chance of success, but the highest chance of just completely throwing the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Favorite. Like yeah. Rebound is, I guess the way I sometimes look at rebound is like, what if you put that card in your deck, you will win one in three games because rebound went off. Yep. But it's, are those going to be the games that matter? You know, and it's not reliable enough for me there. But also, I hate playing against it. I don't know about Malogs. Um, I think Tome of Offerings makes the Malogs issue worse, where he is. All, he is already hyper powerful, and Tome of Offerings makes him more hyper powerful. Rebound, uh, I still don't think it's worth it. I think Frozen in Time is better anti Malog's tech. Yeah. Um, but Rebound is still pretty fun. If you're looking well, to build yeah, a pure Rebound might not one shot him like it will for like Magor or. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, I think if you're looking to build. Yeah, but taking like four or five health off him is usually as good as one shotting him because okay. then you can one shot him if you get me. I see. Um, but yeah, I, I think So you prefer to gamble if, with frozen in time over rebound you you think is better? It's if you have to odds. take the gamble card, you it's, like um, I prefer higher odds plays because frozen in time will often have a large enough effect on Magor that on um Malog that you don't need the effect of rebound. But I think if you're building in a pure anti Malog's deck, take both. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Um so let's see, I got a couple more. This one is from Davey Calkins, who is the guy from the What the Heck podcast, and he says, "What do you think will be the most crucial? Would be the most crucial for GW or the community at large to do to keep the competitive play healthy?" Um, I mean, we touched on a lot of that, like so sure the, the tournament structure works, and that. yeah, yeah, I think yeah. changing up tournament structures of grand cl grand clashes is part of it, but for the wider game, I think. Um, the BAR, the, the WUBAR list is, is uh, a big strength. Um, I think that's been a real, I think that's a really, really good idea in terms of keeping the game fresh. I think it's made a lot of the other warbands that were kind of left for dead at the end of season one relevant again. Uh, ooh, interesting. I also think it's killed off certain warbands. Yeah, it has. So oh, really? Skaven, yeah. Oh, well, like Skaven, uh, Skaven and Reavers. 
Skaven and Reavers are the two that are just right. dead now. And and Turtle Cast too. Yeah. Yeah, which I that one I'm okay with. Yeah, that's well, right. you see, yeah. <laughs> but Skaven had to die for that. Yeah, that's so what you beat say me that, in the Grand Clash. Like I'm um, perfectly happy to see that go. You say the turtle the, the turtle cast one. Um, I think the guy that came third at the Grand Clash was playing turtle cast. Yeah, yeah, it's still so, good, but they definitely did take away a lot of their. Yeah, yeah, uh, they, they took some they... hits there. Yep. Um, so you think maybe updating the Woo Bar list? Uh, how do I you think... feel about like having like a sideboard or like you bring two decks to a? I think there's already. I think there's enough variation, and I think there are certain cards that you have to make choices on. So, for example, Giant Slayer is incredible against like Stormcast. It sucks against like Goblins. I think the game is built and balanced around you having to make those choices and read the meta. So, I'm not I'm not in favor of a sideboard, okay. but I'm in favor of a of the Woobar list being updated. Probably, realistically, probably every three months. I'd like yeah, to see it. I'd months, like to see them updated. Well, like I'd maybe also like new um, expansions are released. Big, big pardon. And maybe as as new expansions are released. Yeah, yeah. I mean, potentially, like, potentially, I think maybe there should be a set time where, like, maybe it's three months after every release because three months is enough time for the release Zero to sink into yeah. the meta. Um, and... right, well, Warhammer Forty K has that. They yeah. they have they have a scheduled time that we know yeah. that the FAQs are going to come out every, you know, two 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 or three times a year. Yeah. And I think a regular schedule for Bar <clears throat> would be really good. Um, one other thing, I think also the point we touched on earlier about making faction cards better and making universal cards worse would make the game way healthier. And one final point that comes up that came up so much with Malogs is um, the game needs timing sequences mm-hmm. and the wording on cards for timing yeah. needs to be better. Uh, we, did yeah. a, we did a whole episode yeah, on, Eric. On, on parsing <laughs> with Eric Warda, just like trying to parse together, like t- try to parse out like when does this thing land? When does it, this thing trigger? It's terrible. Like yeah. it's one of the, I, I really love the game. I think it's very strong. That is a horribly poorly done aspect of the game. Um, like we were talking today about um, trying to figure out how, if Malog hits, if you've got two Malog players and they both have aggressive defense and my turn in their hands, <laughs> oh, how does that? Man. Yeah. So Please. the first Malog declares an attack. The second one plays aggressive defense. The attack hits and damages. So the other Malog plays my turn, then declares their first attack, which would be is that either my turn or aggressive defense? Which order does that resolve in? Then when they declare it, the other one declares aggressive defense. What order? Like, when does all this happen? Like, Yeah, we had a big argument about, what was it, uh, Ghoulish Pact on my turn and ready for action? Yeah, and whether you can do, like, all yeah. of them at the same time. Yeah, can you, like, attack twice or, I don't know. Yeah, we had a, we had I, a I don't know, like a 20-minute yeah. long argument about that. Yeah, and it's and it's unfortunate because it's it's an area of the game that I think is kind of oddly poorly done considering how good most of the rest of the game is yeah the wording on cards and the wording for timing sequences is very odd that it's so poor um but realistically that needs to happen because they have a theoretical really good system where you can't play a reaction at the same reaction window but the, then they just the the wordings change between like trap and pit trap so they have different reaction windows yeah and you're like why why yeah. do these like what 
Yeah, I, I. Well, I think what we need is a overhaul of the of the core rules. Yes, and maybe like I, a, a rules reference where we have you know a, a, a proper sequence. And because yes. where we're at right now is because because we don't have that is we're FAQing ca- uh, cards on a, on a card by card basis where yeah this card works differently and you have to go through the FAQ to find out how it works. It's not like a, yeah. a set thing. Yeah, and that that's not there's what we also... want. We want to yeah. There, there's also um as well as FAQ, the other one would be a clarification on a list of which cards you can score if you draw them later in the turn. Oh, like yeah. um like Strong Star and Martyred yeah. and stuff. Like just literally because no one knows how that works. Some no one knows which really cards qualify. Yeah. Just give us a list of them. Like yeah. and ideally the wording should be clear enough on the cards that you don't have to, but unfortunately that's not the world we live in. Yeah, they're already so, on there. I mean you can't yeah. Yeah, just list list the cards. Oh, one more thing about keeping the game healthy. Sorry that I just remembered. They need to be willing to errata model stats because Ooh. they have not been willing to change stats or actual card text. Well, no, they have actually changed card text now, but not actual stats. But there are certain factions like skeletons and orcs and reavers that are just always going to be bad until they get a stat bump because yeah. their stats are just bad. Like I, I, Eyes of the Nine as well. Yeah. Like their stats are just bad. <laughs> Oh my god, the Wonder Twins? They can't Yeah. Die. What are they for? Why? Why are they so bad? Like They're so what, useless, yeah. What justification do they have for being that bad? Like I don't I don't get it. Like Well, then the other thing we were talking about I think before we started the episode was maybe a you know, and, and Eric was talking about this before in our in a previous episode. Um, you know, a petitioner should not be the same amount of glory as Stormsire when you kill him. Yeah. Because well, I mean, you, know, you think about that, how much you have to do to kill one yeah. Stormcast or whatever versus well, how much yeah. you need to do to get one petitioner and you get the same glory. I you were talking about a, it in yeah. the context of Malog. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting bit of design space that they could potentially have models that you get. Potentially every model. Potentially there's a warband or something that where each of their models is worth a different amount when you kill them. And I think Malog should have been that, mo- that warband. Um, but also um, the flip side, where like you could have done it with Dark Oath, where like say Sean, because it's like Sean Head Claimer, say he just gets two glory if he kills an opposing leader, and that's just a rule on his card or yeah. something. And that would be like stuff like that, I think, is really interesting design space that I think they could explore. But that's very like, I think that's kind of a, a slightly different topic. Sorry, but. Yeah, I think they, the main yeah. one is like, why does the why does the warden inspired only have one dodge? Why does he still have the worst defense stat in the game? Like that that just feels so harsh for them. Yeah, you know. Right. I I got one more question for you on our Q and A. Just want to make sure we get to it. Just give me a hot take, one answer. What is a tip or strategy you would give to a pretty good player to make them become an elite player? Oh. Uh... That's uh, Stephen Van, by the way, from uh, the Shadespire uh, blog. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple. One would be learn your deck. Like, you should be in a position where if you have, like, three objective cards left in your deck, you should be able you to name exactly those should know exactly what they are because you're memorized. Like, oh, that's funny, interesting. Funny yeah. you say that. Yeah, funny you say that, yeah. That was, um, that was our first key to salvation back in episode oh, one. Really? Yep. Yeah, I'd say that's, that's really important. Your deck. Memorize your objective deck. At least, at least your objective deck. Like, 
I, like the power cards, like there's twenty of them. It's a little bit hard, but so learn like if you have cards like Ploymaster or Escalation, and you like just count how many upgrades you've played, and then work out how many are left in your deck if you're just going to start drawing cards. Just basic like stuff like that. So like say say you've got one upgrade, so you've got two upgrades in your hand, and you're going to go fishing for an upgrade. If you then count up the upgrades you've got out and those are like in your five cards, you only have a one in five chance of drawing remember, that card. So Yeah, I remember winning a game once because I knew that my last objective was Conquest. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. I move my guy here and then draw that card. That's too glory. That's that's going to win me the game. Yeah, and yes. like stuff like that. Like just memorizing, memorizing your deck is important and um, learning patience, which I think we're going to cover in the Keys to Salvation We're going to do it right now. We do right now. Right now, what a a great segue. This is perfect. Beautiful. Tell us, Bryce. It's almost like it's almost like I'm good at this. It's almost like you're good at this. Exactly. Tell us what you you wanted to talk about. What's something called activation advantage, which is not a term that I feel like I've ever heard, but but when you started describing it to me, it's like, oh yeah, I see what you're talking about. So why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us about that? So activation advantage, um, it's actually from games like, uh, well, like Guild Ball, where you have six models, and if one of them gets taken out, you lose that activation. But in Shadespire, it refers to, basically, you always want to go second. Like, every single turn, you want to go second, unless you have a really good reason not to. Like, your default should be that you're going second. Um, and the reason for that is... Because that means... So it's because you, that means you have the last activation of every turn. Right. So you have one activation where your opponent can't respond to what you're doing. Yep. Um, and also because on turn one, so on turn one, for instance, say you've both got like one model that you want to make attacks with on turn one. First, you have to do your last activation, throw your model in, which means you have to probably spend your ploys and stuff getting to your opponent. And then even if you hit, say you hit, get the kill they then have a model to just hit because you, that model has been sent in. And once the model is charged, unless it's Malog, that model is no longer a threat. So they then can kill that model and you've given them that model. It's all up in their half and you can't respond because you've spent all your activations. Like fundamentally also because you only have 12, every activation you have that your opponent can't respond to is... So sorry, every activation that you have after your opponent like you're minimizing their ability to do things to respond yes so if if i'm waiting and i have last activation and you don't throw a model in maybe i can't do anything but if you throw a model into me i suddenly that opens up all my score immediately it opens up a bunch of stuff i can do and that's kind of the key thing is is activation advantage means you always want to go second because it gives you it gives your opponent less stuff to do Rather, uh, it gives your opponent less stuff to do that you... I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Well, I always say, like, I know if, if I'm playing against somebody that uses, that is playing the objective markers game, mm-hmm. I will very much try to make them go first. Because yeah. then you have the last activation and you can spend your last activation to push them off of the objective. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. With, um, and you know, against aggressive warbands, a lot of times going second is good too because it forces them to 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 make the first move. Yeah, it can, forces yeah. it forces them to commit first. Yep. And that means you can generally control the model they can attack. It means you can can generally 
um, counter-attack that model and you don't have to go all the way over to their board to hit them. You have a model on your board that you can hit. So it saves you resources there as well. Um, and even and yeah, fundament- oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, just fundamentally, on turn one, two aggro warbands, if you go first and you can't go in and like you you can't go in on any of my models, that's four activations wasted. Well, not wasted because you can draw cards. It's just less activations for you to do stuff in because we we all yeah. only have twelve activations in a game, and every activation you can force your opponent not to be making an optimal play is a good activation. Yeah, and I've noticed like if I if I have let's say I have Gerzag or whatever right next to Stormsire with one health or whatever, and, it, and mm-hmm. the round ends, and I have the opportunity to go first. You know, obviously I want to take that that go first to you know yeah. somebody, but. I'm always considering, you know, if I go first here, that means that I won't have the very last activation in the round. Yeah. And that could end up and, yeah, screwing me somehow. And it's important to one of the most, one of the key skills is being able to recognize when going first is the right call and when going second is the right call. And in the situation of like if you can get a kill first activation, probably going first like particularly if you're in a situation where like magor is staring at garzag and whoever gets first activation is going to attack and kill the other one then take first but if you're still hanging back and you haven't really engaged properly yeah make your opponent go first you don't lose anything by doing so um and also the other key part of it is that if you go second in a a turn you have a 50 50 of getting two activations back to back because you have the last activation oh, right, and yeah. then the first activation. And having two activations without your opponent being able to respond is real good. Like, th- there's a reason Time Trap is now banned. Exactly. Yeah, that's like Time Trap there. Yeah, Yeah. basically, yeah. And obviously you have to roll dice for it, but even the chance of it is better than not having it at all. Yeah, you know? Going, going twice in a row can be backbreaking sometimes. Yes, and also, um, so there's there's that. The other point I want to touch on was patience, which we kind of talked about during the Magors uh, yep. chat about the Grand Clash, where just don't do anything. If you, if you don't have to, don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Basically, like don't try to force. Yeah, yeah. Don't like. Obviously, it depends on the warband you're playing. If you're playing pure aggro, then at some point you have to force and go ahead. But I tend to play in, and what generally I play is like hybridy style lists where. I want to fight, but I want to fight on my terms. So if I don't, if I if I can start the engagement, but I have to start it badly, just probably don't bother. Like your deck does other stuff well enough that you don't need to go in, but on, on bad terms, um, and just don't play upgrades, don't play power cards before they're relevant. Yeah. So I had a situation once where I wanted, I really wanted, I, I killed someone and I got glory. <clears throat> and I really wanted to put sudden growth on somebody just because uh-huh. they have they were low on health. But then I realized, uh-huh. you know, after I did that, that that actually lowered my movement down to like one. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what I could have done was just waited until it was my turn again, done the play I wanted to do, and then play sudden growth on him. Yeah, exactly. In, in the yeah, correct he, order, and it would yeah. have made such a bit different. Yeah. So. Yeah, and also like that's part of um that's part of of patience as well and acknowledging like always keep an eye on what your opponent's doing because it's easy sometimes to get really (laughs) pardon me really up in your head about like you have a plan and you're looking to execute that plan 
keep an eye on what's happening because if your opponent puts sudden growth on a model, that model generally is now no longer a threat because they're probably out of your threat out of you're out of their threat range. Right. So maybe you don't need to go and kill them. Maybe you go and kill another model instead. Like just just make sure you keep up on it and just don't get so stuck in your own headspace and going like tunnel visioning on your plan mm. that you forget that your opponent is also doing things. Mm-hmm. You know? That's important, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, a lot of times, you know, a lot of people, we look at our our objective cards, go in the tank, and then you know, yeah, try, yeah, try really try to to push those home. But you have to play around what your opponent's doing. A lot yeah. of times, I'll get so caught up on scoring my own objectives, and then uh, maybe I'll get them all. But then my opponent will be like, "Oh, I just scored uh, supremacy, and you know, all this other stuff, and it, it didn't even matter." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you are playing an opponent. Don't. Like, often denying your opponent glory is better than scoring your own cards. Exactly, yeah. But again... Yeah, that, key... yeah. especially when you, if you have a score immediately for one, right? Yeah. But your opponent has a score at the end for three. Yeah. It's better to just prevent them from doing that than getting one glory for yourself, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, because the, the, the you're always looking for the glory swing. The trade-off sometimes, though, is that you're getting that one glory say lets you get an upgrade out which lets you do ready for action which lets you score more glory so you need to obviously it can depend very heavily on the game state but you have to always be yeah it depends the game state the matchup but yeah look to try and look at what your opponent is obviously trying to score like if they've got three guys on objectives they're going for supremacy if they're running all of their models into your half they're going for conquest if they have models on uh, opposite edge hexes they're going for extreme flank. See if there's something you can do to disrupt that while still playing for your objectives. Like, don't... And, and you have to work out whether or not it's worth it. Like, especially if you have to roll dice. Like, if you're making an attack to try and kill a model and knock them off an edge X, is that worth it, you know? Like, or is it worth attacking another model instead that's maybe easier to kill? And the problem the problem is with Shades Bar, you can give general advice, but a lot of it, it is dependent on game state. Which is one of the things I love about the game, but it does mean giving advice. Like you can give general advice, but when it comes to specifics, a lot of the time you have to be like, make good decisions. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> There's no just like, you know, what do I do in this situation? Oh, press, you know, left, right, yeah, down, back, yeah. A, B, A, B, and then you win. You know, it's like you have to really analyze what's going on. You have to know the matchup and you have to know the meta. Yeah. To know what, what cards people are going to You have to have some yeah. sort of. You know, they could be throwing you some kind of curveball, but you have to plan, you know, the only thing you can do is plan around, you know, what you think they're going to do rather than what they actually have in their hand. Yeah, for sure. Like, and also um, for the first game each round, make sure you um, look at what your opponent has scored and look at mm-hmm. what they've discarded. Like, mm-hmm. so if your opponent starts the game and goes, ah, I'll discard my three objectives, you go, sorry, can, I, can you tell me which cards those are? Yeah, you hand them over because I want to look at them. <laughs> because then in games two and three, potentially, you know that those cards are there. Yeah, you know and they just, have Supreme Tactician or whatever, Superior Tactician. Superior Tactician, yeah. 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 And just, just keep an eye on or it. Or Denial. Like, like if yeah. somebody bins Denial on turn one, then you know in the next game you got to run one guy into their territory randomly so they don't get that. Yeah, exactly. Denial is the best one because if someone drops it in game one, you're like, cool, you never get to score that now. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm always going to put a model in your half. Like, Yep. All right. Yep. All right. Sounds good, guys. I think we're done. All right. Bryce, hey, thanks for chatting. 
Cheers, guys. It's been yeah, good so to have, uh, been good have something so knowledgeable on the program. But I mean, oh God, Sorry, not, that, I, not that we don't have knowledgeable people, just to. I, I hope. I mean, Christ, I, I hope I'm knowledgeable. All of this is uh, caveat. All of this is my opinions. I, I may be entirely wrong. Your mileage may vary. No, I, I think you did a great job. Thanks, man. I'd be really appreciate it. Oh. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, it's been good to be on. Like, it's cool. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you can invite me on the next time. The next time. Uh, absolutely. Right. We got to get Giblin on. <laughs> the next oh, yeah, then have on. him come on and say about all the things that you said. And here's, here's the thing you said that's not yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We can totally here. like trash talk each other. It can be like a wrestling thing. Oh, yeah. Like, I could be the heel. He's like the main guy. Like, it'd right, be great. Like, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, all yeah. Right. All right. Thanks. I'm, I'm well keen. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Cool.